Hebrews chapter 11, progressive faith. <clears throat> what is it? <clears throat> Excuse me. In this little selection of scripture that talks about the life of Moses and his, his great walk of faith before God, there's eight steps, eight points, if you want to think of them as points. I like to think of them as steps because they are action items, things that we do. Um, there's eight steps of faith that are mentioned in here. The words are in here, so we're, we're taking those words and uh, breaking them open and amplifying them. So here we go. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years or grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect for the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as if by dry land, which the Egyptians attempting to do were drowned. So this great story of progressive faith is a story of how one man in that walk of progressive faith advanced an entire nation of people from slavery to freedom into the promised land. And we looked at four of those steps last week, beginning with faith, because that's the starting point. There's a point in our life we decide to grow up, and that point, whether it's 18 or 28 or 68, is not a numerical destination. It's a spiritual destination. It's the moment we come to the point in life where we decide, I'm going to live my life on faith. I'm going to look ahead to the promises of God, what God has spoken out of his word to me, and that's going to guide my life as I move forward. So by faith, that's the first step. But the first real step that he took after entering that life of faith was the scripture says he refused. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And we shared last week that that first step uh, forward in faith is, is a negative step because you're refusing to continue in your old identity. So before moving forward, you have to re refuse to continue in that old identity in order to enter into that new identity that God has for you. Thirdly, it says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So we have to choose the things of God. And sometimes when we choose the things God puts in front of us, they're difficult, they're hard, they may not, they may not be pleasing. And Moses chose to go ahead and identify himself with the people of God who were at that time the slaves of Egypt. They were certainly nothing special, the slave class of Egypt. So he goes from being the prince of Egypt to identifying with the slaves or making that his attempt. He chooses rather to suffer affliction. And uh, then, finally last week, we shared about the word esteeming. He did that because he esteemed, he, he estimated, he calculated the value of God and obeying God 
And then he compared it to the riches of Egypt. And the value of obeying God made the riches in Egypt basically worthless. So progressive faith means that we must learn God's value system. We must study to show ourselves approved. We must look into God's word and understand what's valuable about knowing him. So it brings us down to today. The, first, the fifth step in these eight steps is the word forsaking. And we're not going to get any farther than forsaking today because it's so important. I want to take the entire time of today's message to share about. It says, forsaking Egypt, and he did not fear the wrath of Pharaoh or the wrath of the king. So he takes on this life of faith. He refuses to continue any longer in his identity as the prince of Egypt. And he chooses, even if it means suffering, to identify with the people of God. See, he's, he's sensing a calling. It's not clear to him, and it's not really going to be clear to him for another 40 years, because if you guys saw the movie, you know what happens. Uh, Moses went and tried to deliver the Israelites, and he killed an Egyptian, and the Israelites turned on him and said, well, we don't want to follow a murderer. And he gets scared and freaked out, and he runs out into the Midian desert where he stays and becomes a shepherd for 40 years, has a wife, has a family, and he's wandering out in the desert for the next 40 years. Imagine what would, is, what would have been going through his mind, what would have been going through our minds. I was crazy. I should have stayed where I was. What in the world was I thinking? But it's too late now because he's, he's an outlaw, and he's a wanted criminal in uh, Egypt. So he's out there in the, the wilderness. But... The Bible says that he forsook Egypt. It wasn't just a matter of he, he had a blunder and he made a big mistake and so he had to run away. But he forsook Egypt and was not afraid of the wrath of the king. Forty years later, he has that burning bush experience. And he's out there shepherding the sheep and all of a sudden he sees a bush and it's on fire but it's not being consumed and he says within himself, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight. And um, so the voice of God speaks out of the bush. And God says, remove the shoes from your feet, because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And Moses, he's been out there drying out spiritually. So he's not the sharpest tool in the drawer at this point. But God's got a great plan for him. So he takes his sandals off and he steps onto holy ground. And the bush is on fire and the bush is talking to him. And the first thing he could think to say is, show me a sign. So, you know, Moses has a little, you know, has a little uh, bit of uh, work that God needs to do with him. But everything God does in his life from this moment forward is the story of progressive faith. It's OJT. It's on-the-job training. God doesn't send us to some college or university and then make sure that we know everything we need to know and then plant us out into his will, ready to do his will. He teaches us as we're walking with him. We learn as we go. And the Bible says that when he got his assignment and God said, you're going back to Egypt, and it was me even 40 years ago that put it in your heart to deliver the Hebrew slaves. I am the God 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your forefathers. And I am sending you. Now by this time, he's had a rough go of it for 40 years. And this educated man, prince of Egypt, can barely put two words together in an intelligent sentence. And he says to God, how am I going to go talk to Pharaoh? I, I can't even articulate. I can't even talk. He said, send my brother. My brother, you know, he's, he's uh, schooled and he's learned. And the Lord says, you know, God will work with you. And God said, okay, all right. I'll, I'll go summon your brother and bring your brother. and He could be your mouthpiece. But the one thing Moses did have was he understood the value of forsaking where you are in order to get to where God wants to bring you. You can't keep two feet in two different worlds if you're going to live by progressive faith. And that's what this message is all about this morning. So progressive faith really begins with fearlessly forsaking the things that resist what God is trying to change in your life. All of us are on a journey. God has us on a journey. We're walking with Him through life. As I said last week, we're always learning. The education never stops. And so we're going somewhere. We're not just getting up Monday and going to work. We're, we should be going somewhere in our life. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we should be progressing. And as we progress along the way, God is trying to change things in our life, which means we have to be willing to let those changes take place. And the way they take place is you forsake what is impeding your progress. If something is holding you back from where God's trying to bring you, you forsake it and God will advance you. Forsaking is so critical to the Christian life. There's no obtaining without forsaking. Um, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul writes, For Jesus, for Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. Listen to that phrase. I count them but rubbish so that I can gain Christ. So Paul didn't assume that just because God had called him and just because God had a perfect will in his life that God was going to make him inherit that will and it would, he would just turn into what God wanted him to be. He'd be the man God wanted him to be. He realized that he had to let go of the man he was. There were certain things about his life he would have to forsake. So forsaking certain things at critical times in your life is absolutely necessary if you're going to walk with Jesus. He said, so that I might obtain Christ, I am letting go of the things that I have lost. So there's no obtaining without forsaking. Forsaking the old for the new. One of the problems is that religion... Religion has corrupted the idea of forsaken. It's made, a, it's made a religious show, a meaningless, profitless religious show out of forsaking. And corrupting the idea of forsaking the old for what's new has turned into a symbolic gesture. And I want you to think very carefully of some examples in your life where religion has turned the idea of forsaking things for God into a meaningless, 
purposeless gesture. For example, years ago in certain Pentecostal denominations, women could not wear makeup, which was really foolish because some women need, need makeup. Um, and none of the women in our church, of course, but <laughs> taking makeup off your face doesn't bring you any closer to God. But, but the church and all, the deno all denominations have been filled with these absurd forsaking rituals. For example, what is that where they cut a bald spot on the top, the monks, to serve God? They're in, the, they're in this monastic lifestyle now, and they, they cut a bald spot on top of their head. It, is that so God doesn't have to penetrate through the hair? He can have closer access to the... What is it? It's nothing. It is a meaningless gesture. But all of these things, not eating meat on Friday, all of these things are gestures or symbols of forsaking. I am forsaking the world so that I can have Jesus. But they're just symbols. And they really don't produce anything. That is not what Moses experienced. Um, when it uh, progressive faith, let me say it like this, progressive faith forsakes what is no longer needed. If God is transitioning you and you are going from here to here, you don't need here anymore. There's certain things about where you were you can leave behind because you're stepping into, you're transitioning, you're transforming. Oh, you listen to me. You're transforming. In other words, when it's time for the butterfly to fly, the moth has to forsake crawling around on branches. The moth can't keep crawling around and munching leaves on branches. It goes into its little cocoon house because it's time to get wings and fly. So the moth has to forsake its old lifestyle and get ready for a new life. So. If you think about it, forsaking is always practical. And right now, there's things in your life God's dealing with you about. And he's not dealing with you in the long, pointy finger manner. He's leading you as your heavenly Father who loves you. And in his love, he's wanting to bring you into a new place of maturity. He's wanting to put more power in your life. He's wanting to invest a larger stewardship and put more into your hand and increase you. But in order to do that, he realizes you have to change and you have to grow. And so in that process of growing, there's certain things right now, you may be aware of them. Even while I'm speaking this morning, you might think of a thing or two in your life. Or you may not be, but after this message, you may leave thinking this week to come about what is it that I'm struggling and holding on to God is pulling on me. He's trying to bring a blessing, and improvement in my life, but I'm holding on to an old idea, an old fear, an old practice, or whatever it might be. And so when it's time to become the butterfly, the moth must forsake crawling. So for God to bring you, for example, into mercy and blessing, you must forsake what? Unforgiveness. There's all these things, we've known them all our lives, but we, quite, we don't quite take them as seriously as we should. The Bible says, 
we must forsake unforgiveness. We don't, if we want mercy and blessing from God, which he's trying to bring us into, he wants to bless you. He wants to pour abundant mercy out in your life. But as long as you're holding on to old habits of unforgiveness, for example, or complaining or bitterness or any of those things that fall under unforgiveness, God can't move you up into that place of mercy and grace and blessing that he wants to bring you to. Isn't that right? So what do you have to do with the unforgiveness? You really do have to, yeah, don't cut a hole in, in your hair. Don't bother wiping your makeup off. It ain't going to do any good. It's, it's something that's going to hurt and it's going to sting a little more than than going without meat on Friday. You're going to have to stop being bitter and unforgiving. You forsake that. You say, I've, I've been this way all my life. I, I can't forsake it. The Holy Spirit will help you. If you commit yourself to forsaking it, not as a religious symbol, not because you want to be the Christian everybody you know, thinks that you are, but because God is trying to bring you somewhere. You see, we should not be forsaking things for any other reason than God is trying to bring me somewhere. If God isn't trying to bring you somewhere, why are you running around giving stuff up and forsaking things? And, of course, I'm not talking about the obvious things, like I'm, I think I'm going to forsake robbing banks this week. I mean, there's obvious things, right, that we should be forsaking. Um, for example... If God wants to bring you into his divine favor, he wants to raise you up and show you greater favor, praise the Lord, then you must do what? Forsake corruption. God said, because I'm holy, you must be holy. And holiness isn't walking around, again, symbolically draped with all kinds of you know, religious uh, appearances. Holiness means otherness. God is other than his creation. He is not subject to his creation. And so God is free from dependence to his creation. He's over his creation. That's literally what holiness means. He is above his creation. So the Bible says, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. God's inviting you up to the place where you are not subject to to creation. You can enjoy it, but it doesn't dictate your life. It doesn't control you. And so when you say, you know, I, I, there's corruptions in my life. There's things I do that are dark. They're not right. I know that. I struggle with them, but I can't forsake them. If God is trying to bring you up to a, a greater place of favor, reach out and take hold of that and through that process say, I am forsaking this corruption. I'm laying it aside for the good things that God wants to do in my life. That's what Paul meant in Romans 8 when he said, through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the things that you're struggling with. So, for God to bring you into his perfect will, for example, let's say you're seeking God's will in your life, and he certainly has a plan for us. So if you're seeking God's will, and God wants to bring you into it, what do you need to forsake? You see, we shouldn't be thinking, um, I need to give up something for God. That's what religion did. How many of you were ever, I'm, I was raised an atheist, so we didn't give up anything. But um, some of you that were raised in churches, were you ever raised in a church where it was a thing 
you gave up something, you know. Of course, next month you drug it back out of the closet, but you would give stuff up, right? So if you, if you want to get to the place where God is calling you, His perfect will, I'm going to walk in the will of God, then you need to forsake plans in your life that oppose that destination, right? If God's trying to bring you somewhere and there's things holding you back, what do you do? You forsake them. Just forsake them. But as I said, and I'll say it one more time, just because I, I, it's so much a part of man-made religion that uh, it's hard to not as, try to assimilate it back into our walk with the Lord. We don't go forsaking things for symbolic purposes. In other words, God will see how sincere I am. You don't prove to God how sincere you are by giving up stuff. God knows how sincere you are. It's you that need to know how sincere you are. God already knows. So you're not doing it for him. You're doing it because of him. You're doing it because God's giving me something better. I'm letting go of this, this old thing. Listen, listen to the way Paul describes it in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let, let them, let your, let your body, let your physical life, if you want to think of it like that, be a living, holy, there's that word holy, sacrifice or an offering up. The kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So there it is. Paul says, trust me, I've experienced this, to know what God's will is for me. Because Paul had been one way as a Pharisee, and God's career path for Paul was so dramatically different. Paul went through some big forsakings to become the Apostle Paul. But he says to us here in Romans, lay your body on the altar, lay your will in the hands of God, ask him to help you, and let him transform you into a new person by renewing the way you think. Let him speak your mind. Let it, let it begin to inform your decision-making process so that you don't make decisions without sensing in your spirit, Lord, where are you leading me? What do you want me to do? And he says, by doing that, what are you basically doing? You're forsaking your old way of just running, jumping, and doing things because it popped into your head to do it, right? You're, you're asking the Lord to lead you. So in a way, there is a forsaking. He says, then you will know God's will. Let me just say that <clears throat> when you, like Moses, forsake Egypt, for example, there are potential consequences uh, to forsaking the things of this world. For example, you know the old bucket of crabs illustration, right? The fisherman has a shallow, wide bucket, and he's pulling all these blue crabs out of the ocean. He's throwing them in there. 
And an inexperienced person would say, you better get a lid on that because, you know, they're all going to just crawl right out of there. Just have to make a little crab chain or crab staircase and climb on one another and get out. But the nature of crabs is what keeps them in that bucket. Because when one gets on the back of another one, then the third one climbs up, the fourth one grabs that third one, says, oh, no, you don't. Not before me, you don't. And they grab one another, pull one another down, so they'll never escape out of there because they pull one another down. So when you forsake something to advance in God, expect, and sometimes people very close to you, people to reach out and try to put a hand on your leg and pull you back. People will resent you for forsaking. You think you're better than that? You, what's, what is up with what you're doing? What do you mean you don't do that anymore? And um, do you understand what I'm saying? Have you ever experienced that? When, when pursuing the Lord, certain things, they're just old and you don't need them anymore. The Lord's delivered you. You've got something great and you're, you're serving the Lord. And, and your family, I, re, I remember when my atheist family and my closest friends, I mean, they worked hard at because they thought, poor Nick, he's lost his marbles. He's lost his mind because the the, the transformation was so dramatic. And, um, you know, I was young, very young, got saved young, and uh, really didn't know how to express the joy that I found when Jesus became Lord of my life. And I was, uh, I was leaving home. I was dropping, going to drop out of school. I actually ended up going back to night school. But I was uh, going to quit my job and just go to this Jesus commune called the Father's House. And I, I, some of the some of the Jesus freaks that lived there came and were picking me up, and I had my bag, and my mom comes home, and she sees me heading out the door. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm following Jesus. And she said, well, what, what about school? What about? She said, you're throwing away, you're throwing away your future. She said, you have a, you have a great mind. Now, that's a mother talking. It's a mother talking. She said, you're throwing away your mind. I said, I don't need my mind. I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're foolish when you first get saved. Probably should be locked up the first six months before they let you out. But at any rate, um, people will resent you. They'll pull you back. And so you need to be, you need to know that's going to happen. You need to make firm your commitments and, and don't, uh, don't waver. And then you could shoot yourself in the foot too. Sometimes people forsake things and then they get proud about it. They get high-minded. They think, look at me. Like the donkey that Jesus rode on. Remember they were putting palm branches down and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. As Jesus is riding the donkey, the donkey's thinking, they laid palm branches under my hooves today. They shouted Hosanna to me as I carried that man into Jerusalem. You're just the donkey. You don't get high-minded. It's Jesus who is getting the praise, right? In progressive faith, the power of forsaking isn't what you're turning from. The power of forsaking is what you're turning towards. So it's not like, Lord, bless me because I gave this up. There's no power in forsaking what's bad. 
Just like the scripture says, if you're doing evil and you quit doing evil, don't expect to be praised for it. You know, today they give you a prize for doing what you should do if you had a right mind. So, but the, but the true reward and the true power of forsaking is what God is bringing you into. That's where it comes from, not what you're leaving. I want to talk with you a little bit about the difference between dedication and commitment. Have you ever wondered, is there a dedication and commitment difference? We use those words interchangeably. Well, let me say it to you like this. All Christians are dedicated, but not all are committed. Dedication is kind of an emotional thing. Your mind, your emotions, you become dedicated. We dedicate children. People get dedicated to a particular work. But whether they go on and fulfill that work is an issue of commitment. You understand? You see, you can be simultaneously committed to many things, but you can only be exclusively committed to one thing at a time. Commitment is exclusive. But you could be dedicated to three or four different things. A ball player can play on three or four different teams until it gets really serious and then they demand commitment. But you could be dedicated. So let me say this in view of today's society. You can't be dedicated to multiple lovers and committed to one spouse at the same time. It doesn't work. See, but a person could be dedicated to three or four different romant, romantic partners. But commitment? No, commitment's exclusive. You're only committed to one. Pig and a chicken. Maybe you've heard this before. We're walking down a road and decide to enter into business together. The pig and the chicken have a proposition. The chicken has a proposition, says, let's open a restaurant. We'll call it bacon and eggs. And so the pig's thinking about it, and he realizes that, uh, that the chicken's dedicated, but he's got to be committed. Because the, the chicken's involved, but he's not totally committed. The pig, you can only do this one time. You know, it is a, that's what commitment is. So, the pig is committed because he forsakes everything for his commitment, but the chicken is just dedicated. Lays a few eggs, goes over here, lays a few more eggs, and his life basically goes on. When David said in the 27th Psalm, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after. The word desire turns into seeking. Dedication becomes commitment. Basically, David was, was basically saying, I'm adding commitment to my dedication. So you see that a lot of Christians are dedicated, but they're not necessarily committed. Their actions and their thoughts and their whole being become committed when they start doing what they're dedicated towards. And when you start doing what God has dedicated you towards, you will forsake other things so that you can do the thing that God's told you to do. And one of the reasons why many Christians are not walking in the place that God's called them to walk in is because they don't want 
to give up their dedication to other things, to take hold of that exclusive commitment. The rich young ruler was a perfect example when he said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments? And he said, yeah, well, I've kept them from my youth up. Don't kill, don't steal. Don't. And Jesus said, all right, one thing you need to forsake. One thing you lack. Go sell all that you have and, um, and give it to charity and come and follow me. Now, we tend to think that Jesus was laying out a policy about wealth in that statement, and he wasn't. He was answering that one guy's question, what must I do? Not what must everybody else do. What must I do? And Jesus saw into his soul, and he saw that that, that man was completely and totally dependent upon his reservoir of cash and wealth. He didn't really see himself as being able to survive in this world without that dependency. Jesus said, you lack one thing, to become brave, to become a person of purpose, to actually inherit the value that I have put into your life so that it begins to show through your life. Come out from under that, forsake it, and you will find out you don't need it. I will give you wealth and provision you just can't even imagine. That young man gave up the opportunity to find out how powerful and brave he could be in this life. Instead, the Bible says he was sad and he turned and walked away. You see, Christianity without forsaking is a meaningless religion. But the secret to power, the secret to faith, is in forsaking. And if you feel like God wants you to forsake something, stop and ask yourself the question, what's the purpose? True progressive faith never gives things up until they're through. They're no longer useful. Something better is being offered. If there's nothing better, if God isn't speaking to you, don't let the devil run you crazy. There are people who love God, but they've, they have lost their perspective because they're committed. They're, de they're dedicated and they want to be committed. And so the devil, every, every morning they wake up, the devil says, give this up. Forsake that. Prove to God. And they, and they do it. And of course, they're just simply being manipulated by Satan. And their poor mind is falling apart. So here's this little formula. It's appropriate, and you really should, Go to God and say, why? What's the purpose? What better are you leading me into that I don't need this? Because if that doesn't show up, there's no reason to forsake what you're wanting to forsake. It's a meaningless gesture. Does that make any sense to anybody? Two people, that's good. Praise the Lord. All right, so as Christians... We tend to think that our dedication to beliefs, call it theology, call it your beliefs, I believe Jesus heals. That's great. That's true. Jesus does heal. Not only did he heal, but he does heal. Yeah, well, I believe that we can lay hands on the sick and Jesus will heal people through us. Good belief, true, absolutely. But it's a belief. It's being dedicated to a belief. And we as Christians tend to think that 
our being dedicated to our beliefs is in the promises of God is, is actually the faith that will cause us to receive them. But being dedicated to believing what's true is not the faith that receives what is true. Does that make sense? Just dedicated to beliefs is not it because there's no forsaking in it. Now listen to me before you think I'm preaching works because I'm not. When we forsake the reasons that we're not receiving, then we have committed faith to the promises that we believe in. And then I'll give you a classic example. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, and these signs will accompany, that word accompany means you're going somewhere and there's signs following you. So it shows that you're progressive, you're going somewhere as a disciple of Jesus. These signs will accompany or follow near those who believe and are progressing in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents in their hands. And they will not harm them. That doesn't mean Jesus said run around and grab poisonous snakes. It means if you happen to be bit by a snake, and that happened in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, right? A, a venomous serpent attached itself to his arm. And he just shook it off. And the people saw it, and they were stunned, they were amazed, and he was able to preach the gospel to them. So he says, you'll take up serpents, you'll drink deadly things, and it will not harm you. They will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Jesus didn't say they will believe in healing, and the sick will recover. He said they will lay their hands. So you have to forsake the neutrality of just believing things in order to progress into being a doer of the word. If you believe that Jesus heals the sick, then why aren't you laying hands on the sick in his name? Why aren't you in your prayer time saying, Lord, you said the believer. That includes me. I'm a believer. I believe this. You know, we believe a lot of things that we are not demonstrating. We're not proving them in our life, but we believe them. We have a lot of dedication. We got a little bit of commitment. And I'm trying to encourage you with this word. It's time to forsake the things you're dedicated to but not willing to commit to. It's time to start stepping out and standing on the word of God and let God show himself faithful. Let God bring you to a higher place. Let him bring you to a place of greater accountability where God can use you. You see people that God uses regularly in the gifts of the Spirit. You think, wow, they must have just kind of gotten saved, filled the Holy Ghost, and then these things just start popping out of their lives. No. What happened invariably is that they wanted to take the Word at face value and do what it said, and so they went out and tried it. They said, you know what, I'm going to lay hands on the sick. Lord, I'm praying. Just show me how to lay hands on the sick. Show me how to operate in faith and, and let the gifts of the Spirit move through our life because you said we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I understand why we don't want to commit to that because what if I do it and it doesn't happen? Well, let me, let me, uh, let me save you some frustration. You are going to do it and it isn't going to happen. 
get over it. If you can't get over that, then you don't have what we call a walk. You're putting all your eggs in one basket. There are lots of times I've prayed for people, laid hands on them. Nothing happened that I'm aware of. But I refuse to stop because the Bible said you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I don't know. But I've got a whole trunk full of miracle testimonies of, of people that were literally raised off of deathbeds, cleared out of ICU units that were met, medically confirmed that only God must have entered in and, and done something. Because, why? Because I cut hair off the top of my head or proved to God I was holy? Or I, I, I answered the call to preach the gospel because I'm a pastor, those things happen. That's utter nonsense. The Bible doesn't say pastors will lay hands on the sick. It said believers. That's all of us. Jesus is Lord in your life. No less than he's Lord in my life. Maybe more. <laughs> so you, you basically get the idea. Dedication is doing what you, what you believe, and that is sincerity. But come, uh, um, I'm sorry, I goofed it up. Erase that. Dedication is what you believe in. That is your sincerity. Commitment is doing what you believe in. Amen. And that's, that takes forsaking and stepping out and being willing. Okay, so I think I've just beat this horse until it's pretty, pretty much knocked out. I, don't, I can't think of any other ways to say this. You get the idea. So I'm going to close with this thought. Um, not everything that progressive faith requires us to forsake are things that are sinful or wrong. Like I said, it makes sense to forsake fornication, right? It makes sense to forsake things that are unhealthy or bad for us. But the reality is, you can find plenty of testimonies throughout the Old and New Testament where people forsook things that were not sinful, not wrong, but were actually good for them. Forsaking something has one basic principle when it comes to progressive faith. It's holding you back to a lesser, in a lesser position than the higher position God's trying to bring you in. It's like forsaking a smaller house because God wants to bring you into a larger house. And I use the house analogy metaphorically. Sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes we must forsake good things in our life in order to come into the place of special things that God really wants to bring to us. So when you're moving forward in God, and you're sensing that urge, and you've been praying over it for weeks, and you're saying, Lord, do you really want me to forsake this? I, I really enjoy doing it. I love it. I don't see the use in it. Um, ask the Lord. And, and you're, you, you tend to say to the Lord, what's wrong with fishing? I'm not saying anything about fishing, Terry. It's just, yeah. yeah, treading on holy ground over there. So... Um, Sometimes we forsake good things and we say to God, what's wrong with it? As if, well, 
The only time anyone should, a Christian should forsake anything is if there's something wrong with it. The reason to forsake anything is always in the goal that's in front of you. It's what's before you that dictates whether you should forsake a thing or not. So, you know, all Christians are dedicated to church. But the committed ones are here. Right? All Christians dedicate church, committed ones are here. There's reasons why we don't commit. They're not all bad. Sometimes they're, they're good. I want you to understand the principle of forsaking and dedication commitment, not in terms of black and white, right and wrong, but in terms of progress, growth, and maturity. All right. Okay, enough said. Let's take a moment before we go. And let's kind of bring our hearts, if you'll stand with me, before the Lord in prayer for, for a moment, and just ask the Lord to show us in our life, how does this fit with where I'm at right now in my life? And God will show you if he hasn't already. Father God, we come to this point in hearing this word today, where the only reason why there's any value in it is because we may need to understand a process we've just gone through. Or we may be about to go into one where there will be an exchange. The good for the excellent, the bad for the good, or the old for the new. But I pray for every single one under the sound of my voice this morning that you will speak individually to each of us. and We will clearly know that you are leading us everything we do should be as unto you. Help the Lord, uh, help Lord to alleviate anyone this morning from the bondage to religion where they just do things because they feel condemned or they feel like they need to be a symbol. And Lord, free us to follow you. That's what you sent the Holy Spirit into our lives to do is to follow Jesus. So show us how we can do that. As Moses did it in his day, we must do it in our day. Lord, we are willing to forsake Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and to be humble about it and joyfully pursue your will wherever it leads. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody, God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week. Want to remind you that um, we have an hour, 45 minutes to an hour of prayer on Wednesdays. Uh, a couple of us gather here and we pray here, but we also set up our um, set up our camera and everything and make it a Zoom meeting. So if you're at home and want to join us, you can interact. You can pray with us. We can hear you. You can see us and hear us. So you can be part of that. It's at seven o'clock on Wednesday. 